You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right. Hey, this is uh, Jose Galison with uh, No Way Jose uh, on the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. Today I'm here with Jacob Daniel from Daniel 3, Obeying God Over the State. Uh, before I get into it, uh, I just want to go ahead and lay it on the table. I mean, as you can tell by his title, he's uh, he's it's religious. And uh, I mean, you, by the title, you, you, when you're seeing this, it's it's on Christianity and liberty. And uh, But I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic atheist. Um, just we're not going down that road. We're not doing a debate here, but just just for the purposes of so you guys understand like what bias I have. Not that I really think it'll come into play, but just to put all the cards on the table so you guys know what's up. I came from a conservative Christian household though, so I mean I've kind of I went to a Christian school and everything, so I'm kind of fairly well versed in there, and not super well. I mean I haven't gone to church in well over a decade, but uh, yeah. So um, yeah, uh, you want to introduce yourself, Daniel? Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Jacob, um, and I have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel called Daniel Three Obeying God Over the State. Um, I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life and uh, became a libertarian and six months later an anarchist, as the saying goes, uh, probably two years ago ish. Um, and, uh, you know, after I became an anarchist, I um, started to try to, because I became an anarchist kind of through. Uh, being introduced to uh, Mises, Murray Rothbard, a lot of that, uh, the Austrian school uh, of, of anarcho-capitalism. Um, then I kind of tried to uh, work backwards to connect that to my faith, because, uh, you know, as a religious person, I take my faith very seriously. It's something that is kind of central to my life. Uh, my life revolves around my faith mostly. And so when I started to get really deep into uh the political anarchy, I kind of wanted to take a step back and make sure it reconciled with my faith. Um, you know, at first I was pursuing that just kind of to make sure I wasn't uh, in any like religious sense committing any heresies or, you know, going too far and just wanted to make sure I was kind of staying grounded. Um, and what I discovered was surprising, which was that there's actually uh, a deep rooted connection between uh libertarian philosophy and, and anarchism and Christianity. There's actually some uh, historical Christian figures who were anarchists. And even if you go back as far as the early church, there was a view of the state going back to the early church where the early church fathers and stuff actually uh, considered it uh, not a heresy to be an anarchist, but almost a heresy or grounds for being uh, kicked out of the church if you uh, – tried to engage with the state, tried to uh, gain some kind of political office or whatnot. So, um, you know, I kind of started a journey and, uh, you know, I met a bunch of Christian anarchists who already had pages and podcasts going. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of statism uh, in the church, in, in Christianity, in Western, in the Western world. And so I just felt kind of convicted, to, you know, hey, I'm just one guy, but whatever the more voices we have the better and um 
I want to kind of clean my own house, so to speak. You know, um, I'm also a big fan of Jordan Peterson, and that's something he teaches, you know, clean your room. And, um, you know, the Christian world, the the church, you know, that's kind of part of my room. And insofar as Christians have been part of the problem when it comes to uh, uh, being proponents of, of statism and of tyranny, uh, you know, I definitely want to be doing my best to be part of the solution. Cool. Uh, real quick, I'm sure, I mean, I, I didn't even bother to look it up before I did this. Daniel 3, I'm assuming you know it by uh, by heart or or you at least know the gist of it. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious as what Daniel 3 is. Yeah, so Daniel 3, and I don't know the, the, the whole story like verse by verse, but um, uh, Daniel 3 is the story of uh, Meshach, Radshach, and Abednego. And basically, long story short, uh, while, while the Jews were um, in exile in, in Babylon, uh, you have two two stories in the book of Daniel. Uh, one was Daniel, which is more commonly known. That's Daniel in the lion's den, which kind of has a similar story. Um, but I just went with Daniel three because um, I don't know that that story resonated with me a bit more. Um, but yeah, the uh, the king passed a law saying that uh, you know basically any time I think it was any time a bell was rung or there was some kind of cue, people had to stop, bow down, and worship this golden. Uh, statue idol that was of of the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, I remember and, Veggie Tales on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Actually, actually, that's, that's probably part of why I like that story so much. Is I remember the uh, the uh, the Veggie Tales rendition, which was the, uh, the 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 bunny like bow to the bunny the, or the something. chocolate bunny. Factory. Yeah, the chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it's funny you brought that up. I was thinking about that as I was uh, reciting the story. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so they were told to bow down and uh, they basically in no uncertain terms, you know, didn't. They stood while everyone else bowed. They were brought before the king and he asked them, uh, you know, why why they were refusing to bow like everyone else. And, uh, you know, the, the penalty was being thrown into uh, a, fir- a fiery furnace. And they said, listen, you know, we can't say for sure that. If God throws it, I mean, if you throw this and th- throw us into this furnace that we will survive. But if it's God's will, he will save us. And regardless, we will not bow to anyone but God. Um, and, you know, so I kind of felt like that was a good uh, theme to kind of put my page around. I mean, and there was a lot of different uh, biblical stories I could have pulled from, but that just felt like a good one, you know, just very uh, heavy on the uh you know the, the the bluntness and the sim and the uh, the imagery of you know not bowing to a king only obeying God kind of being the heart of Christian anarchy you know being that we uh, as Christians uh, should only uh, view God as the legitimate authority both uh, in a worldly sense and in a, in a moral sense and the uh, the state is illegitimate and only uh, only serves to corrupt the uh, the authority of God. Well, that uh, little story kind of makes a perfect segue into my first like uh, topic that I just mentioned to you before this when we were talking. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go into, I mean, like I said, Daniel 3 is kind of defying the state. And uh, I, I kind of wanted to go into the whole like uh, the couve, you know, I don't want I don't want YouTube to get me. But uh, but I know when all the couve stuff started kicking off at the beginning, um, a lot of people I was I was actually really hopeful that the uh, religious community was going to was going to, you know, kind of play that, have the heart of like Daniel three, you know, there. And, uh, I mean, in some instances I was disappointed in some instances I wasn't, 
I mean, it was almost like little isolated pieces here and there. Um, and also, but there's something to it that it's weird almost that they stopped. It's like, that was one of the first things to go is them uh, stopping the church services. So I, I, don't know, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. See if you have anything to add to that or, or not. I mean, I just thought it was an interesting topic. <laughs> it, it is actually, it, it, I have a lot to say about it. I mean, when, <laughs> when, when, uh, you know, when it first came out, you know, the, the lockdowns and, and, and kind of the COVID panic within its early days, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of information. So at first I didn't get too uppity about it. You know, it was like, listen, pandemics are real things and, and they can happen. Uh, so if, uh, you know, I was like, well, this is a pandemic. If the virus is as deadly as it potentially could be, um, yeah, you know, maybe it makes sense for us to, to not be meeting uh, in person for a little while until we can get some more information. Uh, but, you know, about a month or two into it, when things started to get more uh, severe, I started to lose my patience because it just kind of seemed, you know, that the whole flatten the curve narrative was being pushed beyond that, that it wasn't just about, hey, let's, you know, brace ourselves and get ready and then reopen. It was like, hey, uh, we're just going to stay shut down indefinitely and tell you you basically can't live your lives uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, and in that time, I started to kind of, because I, I had not actually done any kind of considerations before in terms of like, you know, what libertarians and anarchists, what our stances should be on uh, what we do during pandemics. Because, um, you know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, I mean, you know, an example would be, although I would prefer everything to be voluntarily funded, uh, if there is a fire in my house, I'm going to call the fire department, even though it is funded by taxation. I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's a drop in the bucket, but still, it's like, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot and not use state mechanisms while those are the only options. And so, you know, if the market mechanisms for dealing with the pandemic don't exist and all we have are the state ones, then it's like, well, uh, what balance do we have between like wanting to opposed statism, but also like not wanting to shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, but, you know, once we saw the virus was basically, you know, something that if you took reasonable precautions, you could avoid spreading it to the people who were really at risk. We kind of started to realize that, uh, you know, people like you and me, you know, if we got it and actually, you know, I, I actually already have had it. Um, so I've, I've been through that already. And, I mean, it was not fun. I have asthma, so it, it definitely at times was pretty uncomfortable. But, you know, I got through it and, uh, you know, it was kind of like just a really bad. It was kind of like a really bad flu. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was. So then as it relates to the church and what their response was, um, I was a little disappointed that they didn't do something. Um, you know, I could understand in certain situations that, you uh, big corporate gatherings the way they were before COVID might not be ideal during it. You have, you know, cause some churches have a large population of people who would be considered risk factors. So, you know, churches like that, I'm not really, you know, uh, judgmental of them. Uh, but when it gets to the point where we have to ask ourselves, you know, as, as Christians, if, if we feel convicted by the things that we believe, um, 
are we doing what we're doing? Are we not meeting because we are concerned with trying to protect people or are we doing it out of fear and submission to the state? And insofar as the church was responding kind of to the first thing, like wanting to protect people, I didn't have too much of, pro- of a problem with it. But insofar as as time went on, it seemed more and more like the church wasn't trying to uh, make their own way as a whole. It seemed more or less like they were willing to follow whatever the state mandates were. Uh, you know, that was kind of problematic for me. Um, and sure, there were isolated incidents where uh, churches did keep meeting. Um, I think, uh, was it Piper? I think was, was one who kept, who, well, he, I think he at first, um, he at first was with the lockdowns, but then as time went on, he kind of changed his tune. Um, no, no, it wasn't Piper. It was, a uh, oh God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, one of the famous, one of the famous pastors in the, uh, the reformed world. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Might've been, was it MacArthur? Anyway, overall, most of the churches were staying closed for a while until, you know, here in, here in Pennsylvania, where I live, uh, uh, a couple churches have started to reopen. Uh, my personal church was closed for a while, just doing online streaming and then started to do, in-person gatherings slowly with limited capacity. Now we're back up to full capacity. So it's, uh, you know, seemingly things are starting to get back to normal in that regard, but it it did kind of uh, agitate and kind of expose that, you know, the church doesn't have the view of the state that I think they should, which is that, uh, you know, the state isn't an authority that they should submit to blindly that, uh, they should, you know, ultimately seek to to serve God, to to serve what is right and wrong, um, and you know, I don't think that was handled perfectly at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely very disappointed overall with how this has been handled by the uh, church, because like, yeah, like I've told you, I mean, I said I'm I'm atheist, but still, like, I grew up in the church, like. Um, when this first started, my first thought was like, there's no way the church is going to go for this. Like, there's no way. Because I remember growing up in the church, and it's like that sense of community. And also it was like this, like to some people that was like their identity. That was everything to them. And I was like, and also from being you know, taught all the Bible stories and stuff, like there's just no way. And like, I get like trying to protect people and stuff. And like, but there's ways you can do that while being able to like meet in person. And even then on top of that, a lot of those like communities that were like could have problems whereas a lot of the ones who wanted to still go to church you know so it's kind of like you know like that's their choice to make right um that was was kind of my response was like listen why can't um and this was my response to really everything not just the church but just our societal response uh kind of felt like what we should have done was say listen let's identify the people at risk and let's keep them isolated while we let this thing kind of run its course through the healthy part of the population that isn't at risk, um, you know, and you can do that without having everyone locked down. And, and really it's more ideal to do that because uh, what people, you know, churches not meeting is one thing that really only affects Christians themselves and maybe some people's mental health or spiritual health, um, you know, but, but the, uh, the economy and stuff, shutting it down for as long as it's been shut down. I mean, people are not willing to make that calculation to realize how much worse we are, uh, how many more problems we are causing between 
shortages of food, shortage, shortage, shortages of medicine and essential supplies, um, putting people into extreme poverty. Uh, I mean, the, I don't think that the long-term uh, effects of, of these lockdowns are going to be fully realized for a few years yet. I mean, it's, I mean, and, and not even just in those things, but also just the economic impact of, of the federal reserve, just, you know, continuing the, uh, the printing of trillions of dollars. Printer go burr. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, and it's like people and people laugh at that and laugh at the growing national debt. And, you know, what I, what I like to highlight to people, libertarians especially, is like, um, you know, taxation is theft, but uh, inflation is almost a worse kind of theft. I mean, there's the Double kind theft. of theft. Yeah, it's like there's the kind of theft where the government like takes your money, uh, the money that you're earning and spending. But then there's the kind of theft where like uh, the money that you are savings that are in your savings and the, and the money that you're earning, the purchasing power that that has is robbed from you. And, yeah. and that, that can sometimes be more damaging over time. Yeah. So inflation's it, like more sinister in a way. Cause it's like, it's like most people don't get it. So it's, it's almost like it's, I don't know. It's almost more, more devious in a way. Like I get what you mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. One thing I want to bring up is kind of how I grew up in the church. And, uh, I didn't, until I had been gone from the church for a good while, I didn't even know that anarcho, like anarcho Christianity was like a thing. And like, it kind of like blew my mind when I found out about it. And so like, whenever I started this podcast, like being like the, the focus of this podcast and really the Liberty movement at large that we've started, at, like the group, like the whole point is to like, have like a cultural non-political focus and like religion seemed like a, like a, that's obvious, like what we're going for, you know, like, and that's kind of always been a topic that's like fascinated me. Cause it's like, looking back now, it's kind of like, it just, it make once I like found out about anarcho Christianity and like that perspective on, on the, on a like Christianity, it just kind of like, it all made sense. Cause it's like, I don't know why this wasn't a thing already. I mean, it was a thing, but like, it, like I, it kind of is just weird why this is just a pervasive, like statism is such a pervasive thing in the church. Do you have any thoughts on like why that is or no? Well, it's, mostly in my opinion traced back and i say this with love for my catholic brothers and sisters but i would put a lot of the blame on um when when the church basically i i would describe it as kind of sold out um when when const with the conversion of emperor constantine and when he kind of made christianity the official religion of of the roman empire um i think that's what the began the entanglement of uh, Christianity, which was focused on the kingdom of God, with uh, with statism, and th th that kind of just continued to trickle down. You know, then the fall of Rome, then you had the Dark Ages, and then Christianity became tied to uh, the monarchy, and you saw you know the feudalism, and then the the wars in Europe, and the you know, after the fall of the Roman Empire, the 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 wars and the and the and the political drama between um, the uh, the Catholic and the Orthodox Church, and then the drama when when uh, uh, the, the 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 Reformation, the the Protestant Reformation, it, it's it's just kind of trickled down from there. And it, it you know the saying, um, I'm sure you do. Everyone's pretty familiar with it. Uh, when you trade those who would trade liberty for security will get neither and deserve uh, 
none. Uh, that's kind of what the Christians did. I mean, they were heavily persecuted for the first three to 400 years of their existence by the state. And then it was like the, uh, it was like this, uh, it was kind of like when Satan offered Jesus um, in the, uh, the desert, the, the, like all the kingdoms of the earth, if he would just bow down. And it was almost like, I feel like Christians made that trade at that point in time. They said, Hey, uh, we're tired of being persecuted. Hey, we could actually be in positions of power for once instead of being constantly the underdogs. And I think that unfortunately uh, that, that was the entryway for uh, statism into the church. Cause if you compare the, the writings in the view of the state uh, from the early church fathers uh, to, you know, everything that came after that, it really wasn't until uh the Protestant Reformation that you started to maybe see small resurgences of uh, the kind of like no king but Christ uh, anarcho-Christian philosophy, but it's uh, it's still unfortunately a uh, to a very small minority within uh, within the Christian world, both both Eastern and Western. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I know. I, I mean, I'm kind of talking my butt a little bit because I mean, I used to be way more versed in this. Like I, we were talking before. I've kind of already passed my angry atheist phase, and now I've kind of moved past like just theism in general. I just don't really focus on it as much. So I used to be like, for I used to be way more versed in this stuff. But I know wasn't it the Romans that that then adopted uh, Christianity as their like their official religion for a while? I mean, I, I might be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it was the first. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah I get that. That was yeah, Emperor Constantine yeah. when he yeah uh, had his his famous conversion, which you know, is some people debate whether it was legitimate or not and whether it was more of a political uh, motivated uh, action to try to unite his his empire against uh, the, the enemies and stuff that he was facing. So, you know, and it's tough because I, I do have respect for, for Catholicism as a whole and for my mm -hmm. Catholic brethren. Um, you know, in, in, in some ways, there are aspects to Catholicism that I think can be uh, compatible with anarcho-Christianity, but just historically speaking, that that entanglement started then, I believe, and and just traces itself through history. At that point, it pretty much, you know, just Christianity became entangled with the state and pretty much stayed that way until uh, America, really. And I mean, then it really, was, honestly, probably the past like 10, 15 years, it's only started to lose its grip recently. I think because I mean, I know growing up, I could feel, I know, I remember feeling it even under like Bush and stuff, you know. And even maybe a little bit later, even like I remember it was such a big deal with Obama with like, what is he a Christian? Is he not? You know, like, True. oh, my God, he's a Muslim. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know. I know I got that feeling growing up. But I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, I was also a little. Kid, well, so. well, culturally, America was still very Christian focused. But, you know, America was at least the first place where religious freedom because of the separation of church and state happened. Now, most people were still Christian. So there was still probably a heavy you know, a heavy cultural push and, and because, uh, politics is downstream of culture, the politics were still shaped by that. Uh, but there was at least more, you know, religious freedom churches and different denominations weren't literally warring against each other once they got to the West. And once the idea of separation of, of, uh, church and state took hold, um, which was kind of, uh, you know, an important, an important development, you know, it's, you know, the church still isn't perfect, but it's certainly improved since that mm. entanglement has become uh, less, <laughs> less like, you know, now there's still entanglement, but now it's more through our democratic processes and not mm. so much that we actually have, you know, 
this mixture of uh, the kings and stuff and the, and the monarchy with the church. And that yeah. was always problematic. Honestly, I feel like it's honestly probably the, only the last two presidents that it's felt like it's loosened up a little bit. I know before that it was still like a vibe. I mean, I'm also I'm 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 only 29, so I mean, like my perspective on how things have been is a little bit off because I'm basing on my worldview. But uh, one thing I want to brought up, I thought it was kind of interesting because I know uh, Rome and like Constantine in general, prior to his conversion, it was Christians were well known as being like a thorn in their side. So it was almost like the the ring of power type thing where statism kind of you know took its greatest weakness and made its greatest power and kind of offered the ring and then and you know the Christians jumped at it yes. and now it's kind of been biting them in the biting them in the butt for a long time. <laughs> so yeah, no, you're, you're I, right. Yeah. They 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 were uh, tired of being oppressed by the ring of power by by Sauron and when they had <laughs> the opportunity to wield the ring they uh, they unfortunately gave into that temptation which is unfortunate because. When Jesus was offered that same temptation uh, in the desert, he he refused it. Um, and you know, I mean, on one hand, you can it's it's understandable, you know, when you've been persecuted by the state for so long, when you can, you know, it, it's understandable to get defensive to the point where you think the only option you have to end that persecution is to to grab that power. Um, but you know, that's that's that is unfortunately a you know, that set a precedent that's still alive today. Christians still, uh, unfortunately, predominantly feel like they have to grab state power, both defensively to protect themselves from what they see as like a growing, the, the growing secular movement in the culture, uh, and, and B, uh, to kind of, uh, in a re reactive sense, to kind of push back and impose certain things that they think need to be imposed via the state, you know, the most obvious uh, one being uh, abortion and wanting to overturn Roe versus Wade that, you know, that little, I shared a, a meme on my page a while back that was actually, it was created by, you could tell it was created by a leftist, not like a libertarian, but it was still true. And it showed like uh, Republican voters basically uh, as like a donkey and they were chasing like the Roe versus Wade was like the food being hung out in front of the donkey. And then the donkey's hauling all this stuff behind him. And it was like, you know, all the, all the things that you can imagine criticizing Republicans for, which is, you know, the military industrial complex, the, the war on drugs and, uh, and uh, you know, all this, all, all, all that stuff was like characterized in the, in the wagon. And that's, that's very true. Uh, you know, they're, they're very focused on, unfortunately, uh, using the state still to uh, do things that, you know, it's not what Jesus taught. You know, when Jesus, Jesus was rejected as Messiah precisely because he didn't do that. You know, the Jews expected Jesus to be a political figure. The Messiah was supposed to basically come free Israel from the, uh, the reign of the, of the Romans, reinstitute the state, the kingdom of Israel uh, in, in a political sense. But Jesus came and was rejected because he said, um, you know, uh, my, my kingdom is not of this world. I've come not to, you know, uh, I don't care about these earthly kingdoms. I care about, uh, the kingdom of God. And he, uh, focused on, you know, the sp spirituality and, 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 and morality, not on, not on politics. And he taught to go out and be a servant, to go out and to affect change in people's lives by being a servant and by, you know, uh, bearing you know ultimately by uh bearing your cross as he did you know that's the model he gave us um 
it was to go out and and change the world through our example and through uh you know i mean the the biggest things he told us to do were to love our neighbor as ourselves to 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 care for the widow to care for the orphan and uh he never told us to do that through the state (laughs) he never you know and unfortunately people christians now are kind of lazy because they know that they can try to put their responsibility and give it to state politicians, you know, and they're like, oh, well, I am caring for the least of these because I'm voting Republican and they're protecting, they're trying to fight for the rights of the unborn. Um, you know, so it's it's an unfortunate trap that they've fallen into, but more are starting to wake up to it and, um, you know, doing my best to try to, uh, you know, be a little bit of a, a, a uh, dissident voice in the Christian community when it comes to using statism as a means to an end. Yeah, I really feel like it's such a good example of why the whole one ring metaphor is so great. Because it's really, it's that's that's the just the basic trap of statism in general. It's just everybody has this, whatever your thing is, whatever your worldview is, You everyone likes to think that they're right, and maybe they are. And they're like, well, I'll utilize the state to be able to prove that I'm right, or to be able to to make a utopia or whatever it may be to be able to get people to, to take on my worldview. And it's like, it's just kind of sad that something like, especially like Christianity, while I obviously like I am an atheist, I have my, my, uh, my, my disagreements, but I mean, especially like if you look at the new Testament part of the Bible, pretty much there's not a whole lot to disagree with, at least in the doctrine that Christ teaches. I mean, it's not much there. I mean, I mean, so it is kind of sad to see them fall into that trap. Uh, I think let's move into viewer questions. We're already a half hour deep and, uh, we have some like pretty, pretty, uh, good, uh, audience questions that, uh, will probably take up a good chunk of time. So we move on then. I, I, I could go on this forever. Um, so I got a question from Derek from the Liberty movement. Uh, he said, people have said that the Bible justifies a state. What is your opinion on their reasoning? Um, and I don't know if you want to maybe do it from a context of doctrine or just, or you just want to go on with that. So you can go for it. Sure. Um, well, it's, it's probably good to start out by bringing up the passage that is most often used to justify, uh, the idea that the Bible supports a state. Uh, people are most commonly going to bring up Romans 13. Um, and I'll just read, read that. It's not too long. Uh, Romans 13, I'm reading from the, uh, 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 what version is the NASB? Uh, every person is to be in, uh, to be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in uh, subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Um, that's the most prevalent part of the passage. Um and on the surface, people hear that and go, okay, you have to obey the state. 
that's it. Uh, there's there are first of all, and and I'd be happy to share links that you could you know post along with this. There are probably a dozen uh, different takes from the Christian anarchist Christian anarchists throughout history on why Romans thirteen does not say that we need a state. Uh, I can't go through all of them here; it would take too long. But I'll highlight kind of. Uh, maybe like two of of the ways I come about it. One that's kind of simple, and one one that's kind of simple and thematic. And maybe I'll go a little bit into the actual scripture and some of the lines and why they're maybe perhaps misinterpreted because these were written in Greek, and Greek to English is sometimes tricky. Uh, first, just thematically, we can just intuitively know that this is not justifying uh, a state in all instances or that we must obey the state in all instances. Um, it's, it's important to recognize that uh, what this, the, the most that Romans 13 can be said to say is that while states exist, you are to be subject to them. But we can tell from the whole, the, the, the whole entirety of the Bible that there is a limit to that. Because, I mean, again, and I'm speaking from the Christian worldview, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you don't you know, you, you don't believe this, but if you are a Christian, you kind of have to believe that the, the Bible doesn't have contradictions. So if you see a contradiction, you have to kind of explore that a little bit. Uh, and the first thing I would ask uh, that I ask Christians when they bring this up is I say, what do we have more examples of in the Bible? Do we have more examples of, of Jewish and Christian figures uh, obeying the state and admonishing it or disobeying the state and rebuking it? And it's 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 pretty much all examples of rebuking it. Um, if you actually look, the 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 first mention of the idea of a state or some kind of um, uh, like human authority isn't mentioned until First Samuel, and it's not brought up in a good context. Um, um, I'll bring that up here really quick. It's First Samuel chapter eight. Uh, to give the background on this, uh, Is that the one where uh, they're trying to institute a king and, uh, yes, and they're yes. not having it. Yeah, like, whatever so, you want. <laughs> so, so, so basically, to like oversimplify, kind of like the Old Testament story up until this point. You know, this is after Israel was uh, freed from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they're already in uh, in Israel. This is uh, you know before, but before. David. This is before Saul is 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 appointed king. Uh, uh, before that, people the 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 people the Jewish people were basically ruled just by uh, the like religious authorities, basically by the prophets by Samuel. Um, but his kids didn't really follow in his footsteps. They weren't uh, you know really o- obeying God. They were kind of doing their own thing. And so uh, and Samuel was getting old. So the uh, Jewish people came to Samuel and said, uh, hey, uh, your, your kids don't follow in your footsteps. Uh, you need to give us uh, a king like everyone else in the world has. Uh, so Samuel goes to God and says, uh, uh, hey, what do you want me to do about this? Um, so he, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Um, there was actually, uh, another story where God wanted the Israelites to like, uh, to 
come to like the, the mountain where he was like his presence was dwelling and he wanted to come down and, and he wanted them to come up so he could like dwell among them, but they were too, too afraid. And they, they stood back. Um, and that's repeated pretty much throughout all old, old Testament, uh, history. And to keep reading here, he says that they rejected me from being King over them, like all deeds, which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt you know, and, and he's referencing, like, he brought them out of Egypt, and what did they do? The first thing they did was they erected the golden calf. So idolatry and rejecting God runs deep in these people. Um, uh, they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for, asked of him a king. And he said, this is the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And then you will cry out in that day because of your king for whom you have chosen yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Glowing recommendation so, of statism. <laughs> yes, yes. Therefore, God thinks statism is good. It's like, no, God, the, the, the whole, you know, the beginning of the biblical narrative is God rescuing his people and saying, uh, you know, not bow to me in this like uh, mean tyrant way, but like, hey, um, you know, God is our father. I know the best way for you to live if you will follow me. If you will accept me living among you, uh, you know, I can, he's trying to restore what was lost in the garden. He's trying to, to bring back that, uh, you know, the connection. And really, if you look back to the garden, even that was a rejection of God where, you know, Adam and Eve basically said, well, we don't need to, to listen to God. We can, we can decide uh, for ourselves and we can rule our, we can rule ourselves and decide our own meaning and decide what is right and wrong. And that's the whole beginning of the biblical narrative. We get to hear at First Samuel where, uh, yeah, a, a glowing recommendation, a, a glowing uh, uh, telling of what statism is going to look like uh, is given to them, and then uh, in Romans thirteen, it it can be said that while the state exists, you're supposed to listen to them, but that can only be said to be applicable insofar as the uh, the state is not asking you to do anything contrary to God's law. And that's really the simplest answer to Romans 13, which is that, um, I mean, listen, yeah, be subject to the governing authorities if they tell you um, don't stab your neighbor <laughs> or don't steal from your neighbor. But uh, if Hitler tells you to go round up the Jews, you should probably not listen to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you can't consistently read into Romans 13 that you are to obey all all the state's authority. So the only consistent... Uh, answer to that is to say, well, if the state is asking you to do something that's contrary to what is right, 
you can't obey it. And I push on that to, I think, the logical extreme that maybe some Christians don't, which is that um, what is statism? Statism is a monopoly of force over people in which some people have special rights to do what for us is immoral. It's like the state takes our wealth, but calls it taxation or calls it, uh, uh, you know, qualitative, what is it? Quantitative easing as the, as the, as the fed calls it, uh, QE, uh, it takes our wealth. It'd be wrong for you or you or I to do that, to, to take a group of people, hold them hostage, uh, and tell them they have to use our currency and to constantly take their wealth from them in these various ways. But if, but, oh, but if, but if these people do it and they call it a state and they call it taxation and they call it the federal reserve, it's okay. I don't see that in the Bible. And I've always asked people to show me that it's like, show me where in the Bible, uh, God says, do not murder, do not steal, uh, do not commit idolatry, except if you are a King or except if you are, uh, voted democratically into a position uh, within a state like that just that doesn't exist. God's moral commands have no exceptions. Uh, they are universal moral uh, commands that that imply universal moral duties upon us. And if you take seriously that you should not steal, that you should not murder, uh, you know, which is basically the not that's the non-aggression principle summed up right there. Um, if you believe that, then there can't be any exceptions. So now the more detailed scriptural, uh, answer to Romans 13 would go a little bit further. And it would say that Romans 13 really isn't talking about, uh, a state. What Romans 13 is, is talking about is governance and governance isn't necessarily a state. Uh, there, there's an idea uh, among uh, uh, certain Christian anarchists, and this is kind of the answer to Romans 13 that's my personal favorite, which is the idea that Romans 13 is really talking about civil governance, which you could be you, you could equate to uh, libertarian self-governance, which is basically that you know if, if governance is just uh, executing civil law, executing uh, the enforcement of contracts, basically, is what it comes down to within the market, you know, that if people murder or if people steal, that there has to be, you know, some kind of uh, response to that within the market. If contracts are broken, there has to be some kind of arbitration to to resolve that, uh, that, you know, that is good. And what's funny about Romans 13 is it says that uh, it is no terror for those who do good. Well, we automatically know then from that line that whatever Romans 13 is talking about cannot be the state based upon the like on the, the infinite amount of examples we have of the state being a terror to innocent good people. Whatever, whatever Romans 13 is talking about, it's saying that it's not a terror for those who do good, but only those who do evil. So the minute <laughs> whatever you call governance starts to uh, be a terror to those who are good or innocent, it, it, it's not protected by Romans 13. Romans 13 speaks to what we would call civil governance or, or like libertarian, uh, you know, you could call it private, you know, the, the, like the Mises term is, is private law, uh, you know, market anarchy, wh however you want to label it. Uh, that's what it's talking about. And when it, the line about paying taxes to whom taxes are due, 
Well, that's kind of like if we look at the Greek word there, um, it's really talking about like tributes or customs, which is like, yeah, listen, if you use a toll road, you got to pay the toll. Um, it's really just kind of uh, pushing more on that principle that like you just you can't steal from people. And if you uh, use someone's property and there is a fine or a fee that is uh, associated with that, that you have to pay it. Um, it's actually kind of a, uh, um, it is mirroring Jesus's answer when they, uh, when the Pharisees asked Jesus uh, if you should pay taxes to Caesar. And this is the other verse that people use to justify statism is they say that, oh, well, Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I was like, yeah, but if you look at what the Pharisees were trying to trick him, because it actually was, you know, people, if you, you remember the New Testament, how uh, tax collectors were viewed very badly. Like people like said, like, oh, Jesus, that guy, he, he hangs out with tax collectors, which I, I, I kind of love that. Like, you know, that's another thing is, you know, it's not like tax collectors are talked about in a good way in the Bible. But, you know, obviously the state must be viewed as good anyway. Uh, well, the reason tax collectors weren't viewed as good is because, you know, the Jews still viewed the Roman authority as illegitimate and, uh, you know, ultimately Caesar as a false king and that, you know, they were trying to trap Jesus when they asked him that question because they wanted him to either say that you shouldn't pay your taxes to Caesar because he's a false king and to have him be arrested for that or uh, to basically commit blasphemy in front of the Jewish people by saying you should. Uh, but what Jesus said was brilliant. He said, you know, give me a coin whose face is on that. He said, uh, render to everyone, you know, what they're owed to Caesar, what is Caesar's and what to, to God, what is God's meaning? Like it was just to me, him saying, listen, just follow this principle of, uh, the, the uh, you know, in the market that we all kind of understand, which is just like to play fair. Like if you owe someone something, pay it, don't steal from someone, give to everyone who, what is owed. Um, which, you know, if someone's stealing it from you via the point of a gun, by the state, well, is that really owed or is that being stolen? Um, I mean, you could look at that from a smart ass perspective. If like, say for me as an anarchist, if I said that, give unto the government what the government is owed, you know, like everyone's gonna know, especially from the context of me saying it, I'm implying they're not owed anything. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, yep. So, so, and, and Paul's mirroring that and, you know, so between, between that and the entire biblical narrative. And and when he says, so the other, uh, just this is the last point I'll make on Romans 13, which is at the beginning when it says to submit yourself to the governing authorities, well, the word there is, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronuncia pronunciation of this word because I really don't know how to say it. It's in Greek, uh, is exousia. Um, and exousia basically means higher powers, uh, which is not, uh, used to describe uh, the state in the Bible, except when it describes the higher powers being like evil is the only time it's used in two ways. It's used to describe higher powers in a good way, but whenever it's used to describe higher powers in a good way, it's being used to describe like God or uh, forces of God or like, you know, God's uh, moral authority when it's used to describe the kingdoms of God, I mean, the, the, the kingdoms of man, it's always like in this way that's like depicting them as uh, terrible and tyrants. 
Now, it's certainly true that God uses evil for good, and there are times where God would use, uh, you know, certain earthly powers or earthly uh, exousia to punish Israel for their disobedience. But uh, just because God used Babylon or Persia or Rome to punish Israel for their disobedience doesn't mean that uh, he was calling Rome or Babylon or any of these kingdoms of man good. Uh, just because God uses the actions of evil men uh, for his purposes doesn't mean that the uh, actions of those evil men aren't evil. So uh, those are the th that's the biggest challenge that is in the Bible against uh, Christian anarchism. And really, once you break those down, there, there's there's really not much you have to deal with. I mean, I would say that Christian ethics would say that political, uh, I'm mean, sorry, like violent revolution against the state probably isn't uh, a good idea or justified. That kind of comes more from the Christian idea of of kind of being against violence in most instances. Self-defense being, you know, an exception. You, you know, you're allowed to defend yourself. If someone's trying to hurt you or your family or your neighbor, you should obviously uh, uh, want to protect people from harm. Uh, and sure, the, sta the state does, there's a little bit of a gray area there. Some Christian anarchists are, are pacifists and like to the extent where they would say that you should never resist the state with force. Others think that, well, statism is uh, such a tyranny on people that it would be justified in certain instances. But ultimately, there's no argument to be made that statism is good in the Bible. It's, it's just not there. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, like the ones you brought up are ones I remember growing up being told. Because like, like I said, I came from a traditional Christian household and it was like, you know, very conservative, very, you know, like that, that was the kind of stuff we heard, too. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next question. It's from David. I'm going to paraphrase it because it's kind of a long one and to shorten it up a little bit. Uh, basically, he wanted to kind of he wanted to ask uh, something along the lines of like the differences between denominations, and then also to tie into that, like which denominations do you typically seem to lend themselves towards being uh, less or more statist? Yeah, that was an interesting question. I thought about that for a little bit. Yeah. Oh, just to um, cut in, I I'm came from like a Baptist household. So I actually, I mean, I don't know if it's one of the trappings of like, you know, church. Most people get stuck in a denomination. That's the only thing they know. I, I honestly don't even right. know much about the different denominations, even growing up in the church. So I that one for me, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> there are, so there are certain aspects. I'll start with like the biggest one, as people know, which is like Catholicism um, and, and Protestantism. So the Catholic Church isn't very anti-state, uh, but you do find a hint of rejecting the state as an ultimate authority. Some of that's because they view the Pope and the Catholic Church as being kind of the ultimate authority of, you know, it's uh, the Catholic view being like the Church and the Pope are kind of like the, uh, it's the apostolic succession and they are... Uh, kind of like God's voice and instrument here on earth. Um, so, uh, and you know, there are some Catholics who are anarchists and, and, you know, good libertarians. I mean, Tom Woods is a mm -hmm. good example of that. So, I mean, uh, you know, there's no denomination that really makes it impossible to be an anarchist. Uh, you know, Catholicism does have this spirit of, you know, there's so many rules and regulations and there are some Catholics, excuse me, <coughs> I have to clear my throat. 
there are some Catholics who, um, uh, some Catholics who based upon, and, and like, I'd have to look into these things, but like certain things in certain Vatican's and church writings, uh, have told me that like, you can't be an anarchist and a Catholic because, uh, like you need to be able to ban, use the state to ban drugs and to ban abortion. Uh, you know, that's, uh, I can't answer that, but I will say that it's not impossible for Catholics to be anarchists. There's, there's some pros and cons there. Uh, you know, within Protestantism, it, it, you know, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, there are a lot of within, like, I, I'm kind of, loosely uh from like the reformed theological school of christianity um like like presbyterians calvinists that kind of stuff and uh there are a good you know a good number of historical uh theologians from from that uh denomination those denominations that write against uh state tyranny and that are uh um you know almost Christian anarchists. Uh, then you have, uh, like, I guess the more progressive denominations, like the United Church of Christ, or just a lot of the non-denominational churches, but a lot of them are really left-leaning. So uh, they are oftentimes big proponents of the state because of the, uh, the left to the, the cultural left's influence on them. Uh, so, I mean, long answer, I, mean, I guess like the short answer is, I don't view there's no denomination that's a bulwark of Christian anarchism, but there's also no denomination that is a major obstacle to it. Um, and I, and I try to make my project kind of a, uh, a big tent or like an umbrella. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to discount any Christian denominations in in my, my outreach. I think that, uh, you know, now, I can't say much about maybe like the ones that are more fringe, like Jehovah witness and, and Mormons. I do know Christian anarchists from both of those. Uh, I don't want to call them cults cause that's offensive, but <laughs> just but, go ahead uh, and say it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I know Christian anarchists of all persuasions really. So I don't think there's any barrier. I can't say there's one that makes it easier. Uh, although, I guess from the kind of like the non-denominational progressive uh, uh, theology part of Christianity seems to be where a lot of Christian anarchists today are. Uh, A big name is uh, Keith Giles. He wrote a book called uh, Jesus Untangled, which was about untangling our, our politics um, from, from our theology, which is a really good book and I like it, but he just, you know, his theology is much more, uh, it, within the Christian worldview, considered liberal, very uh, uh, r- like like not viewing the Bible as inerrant or believing that all of it is 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 true to one extent or the other. So, um, yeah, that's that's about as much as I can say about that. There's no there's no barrier to entry. Christians of all persuasions. There are plenty of examples of Christian anarchists to, to be found and. Uh, I can't say there's one that makes it easier than uh, another, in my opinion. They probably all have their pros and cons. Which makes sense, because, I mean, most of the differences from what I remember in denominations are just doctrinal kind of stuff that's not really, doesn't really apply to that. But, I mean, I was kind of interested if maybe you knew more than I did, since you're more embroiled in this kind of 
kind of thing. So, like, uh, you know, I could speak to specific ones and tell you like which ones like, oh, this one, you know, like I said, with the Catholic Church, there's a pro and a con here. Each one has a pro and con, but um, it would be kind of long and probably boring to go into all those. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get too much in the weeds. Uh, yep. But uh, let me see what else I got real quick. Uh, do, do, do. Um, uh, let's finish off with this one. Um, uh, what role does grace play in your daily life from a voluntarist perspective? I don't know if you have much to say on that. I, I guess the way I interpret that was kind of like, um, I know, I know, especially even from not, not even from religious perspective. I mean, say I'm, I, I identify more as like an agorist and like, so I would consider myself like a non-voting anarchist. And I know a lot of people get it like all caught up on that. And like, we'll be like, Oh, you statist if you vote or whatever. And it's like, it's kind of like for one, my, I mean, my perspective from a non-religious perspective would be like, I could be wrong. So it's like, why would I be so judgmental on you? I mean, this is just my beliefs. I might be wrong at the end of the day. It's, it's not really worth like, you know, I know ostracizing you in a sense over something so silly, you know? So I don't mm-hmm. know if you have something to say on that. Yeah. The, uh, what role does grace, can you repeat the question one more time? Uh, what role does grace play in your, in your, uh, God, I, I brain farted it. Um, <laughs> what, what role does grace play in your daily life from a voluntarist perspective? I'm assuming right. grace, they meant like from a religious perspective. So like, you know, what, I mean, yeah, so, so I guess, yeah, here, so I'm, I'm remembering now what I wanted to say. Uh, you know, one, one thing I will say is that maybe this isn't what they were going after, but this is kind of where it's my mind's going. Uh, Christians have a little bit of a different ethic, I think, overall than the non-Christians that comes to bear differently when it comes to how we resist the state and also uh, how we would uh, solve things in the market. And I know that can sometimes cause some source of tension. Like one of the things that people sometimes don't like about Christian theology uh, would be like when Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says to turn the other cheek. Um, and uh, but but to me, that's not saying that there isn't a wrong that is happening. Like if someone breaks a contract or or infringes infringes on your property rights, you know, I think for society to work, you have to kind of label those things as wrong. Um, but I think where grace comes to play for the Christian kind of in, in the voluntarist worldview is that uh, the more you can solve things without implementing force, even as a way of like d- d- defensive force or restitutional force, uh, the idea is that, you know, the, the biblical phrase is like when you, when you love on your enemy instead of instead of hating on them, it's like it's like uh, what was the expression? It's like uh, uh, dumping hot coals on their head. It's like sometimes uh, sometimes punishment, you know, and and kind of going eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth leads to more of a doggy dog world than you would want. Versus if there is grace for at least the things that that there can be grace for. I mean, I don't think you no know, Jesus says turn the other cheek, not bend over <laughs> you know what i mean like um so yeah, not take a bullet to the head either you know <laughs> right yeah i, yeah. I, I don't I, no i mean and now the apostles died horrific deaths and jesus did too <laughs> um but they did that for religious reasons and kind of because you know they didn't really have much of a choice i mean resisting the state back then uh was pretty much impossible um so and but but uh yeah i don't think that 
turn the other, you know, it, it, turn the other cheek to me is like, if someone is insulted you or if someone has, you know, been petty with you in business, you know, it's like, uh, they, they've done something that, you know, you'd want to go after them, take them to court, try to sue them for everything they're worth. Um, you know, the, the, the Christian is going to be more, more motivated to let things go, which to non-Christians might view, like it might be perceived in a way like, oh, you're just being weak or you're, you know, letting people get away with stuff. But, um, Sometimes you know, tactically it's the right way to go, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just sometimes just, it's kind of like, I don't know I've been married for almost a decade. It's kind of like picking your battles, the same idea. It's, uh, not everything's worth an argument, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, so. and sometimes you, you accomplish more good in the long run by, uh, by showing someone grace than, mm-hmm. um, than, than by trying to go after them and make them pay for their wrongdoing. Um, so, I mean, that's the only thing I would say, you know, as far as where grace uh, applies to, to voluntarism in the market is, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of compatibility there and, you know, in Christian ethics and voluntarism. I mean, uh, you know, we all want a world where there's not the predominant way of dealing with things is not uh, initiating force against people. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of compatibility between Christian ethics and anarchism and voluntarism. It's just a shame that so many Christians have been brought up in this culture where they, you know, are conditioned like, like we all are non-Christians the same. We're all indoctrinated by the state to, to normalize those forms of aggression and violence. Um, uh, but we all got to do our best to, to, to denormalize it, to, to view it, to view state violence and aggression for, for what it is, which is just, you know, it's, it's, it's okay if it's not okay if I do it. It's not okay if someone does it and has a badge, or if someone does it and has, uh, you know, some kind of position they gained because they were voted into an office. You know, uh, you know, like I said before, murder is murder, theft is theft. You know, the Bible upholds that. I would believe. I feel like it's more pervasive though when it's instituted in a religious perspective of this, like incorporating statism into it as well, because it's like now you're incorporating a higher level of statism in a sense. Cause it's like, I know from my perspective growing up with it, cause I came, like I said, it was kind of like, they were almost like tied into each other in a sense. I mean, it was, it was more in the subtext. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I don't think any church out there is preaching statism, but it's kind of like in a lot of places, it's kind of in the uh, underlying subtext. So it's like, I don't know, it kind of becomes embroiled into your even higher ideology. Cause I mean, for someone who's religious, it's like you, you think you're going somewhere else after death. It's, it's more than just life. It's something else. So I, I don't know. That's why it's kind of like I, I was, I really like the idea of anarcho Christianity because like I said, I'm not the angry atheist anymore. So I, if anything, I just, I like these ideas getting out because I think it's, it, it can serve humanity as a whole. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there, there definitely is a danger to religion when it's tied to the state, because if you think that God, the creator of the universe is on your side, and you have state power. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it, it, it just is. And you know, and and to be fair, it's 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 a disaster no matter what religion does it. I mean, you look at you know Islam. Uh, you know, pretty much the only religion that it hasn't been as bad as maybe Judaism, but that's just because they've unfortunately been on the the <laughs> the uh, receiving end of state violence more often than hey, they're coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless, unless you're running the think, banks and stuff now. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know, I know. Taken down. 
but um yeah no i I definitely i definitely understand where you're coming from i'm not one to try to excuse that you know christians need to you know they need to they need to be consistent they need to live up to what the bible teaches um and uh when you challenge statism in christians unfortunately they they don't respond with scripture mostly they respond with uh the the mythos of american exceptionalism (laughs) which is a problem and not, not that i hate uh not that i hate america or i hate everything about america and and western culture um that that's not my point but just that uh the idea that of democracy being a virtue and and that you know you know is 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 it it is a a statist uh myth that is permeated everywhere in our in our society including the church and doing my best to to combat that yeah, it's like weirdly tied into the American mythos too, because it's like the whole shining city on a hill type thing has this weird religious undertones to it, and it, it yeah, there's there's something to that where it's like uh, we're gonna bring freedom and you know our Western culture to, you know to to the world kind of deal. So and I feel like that's kind of like implied, you know, the Christianity and stuff, especially in the like a couple decades past. Maybe not so more, much uh, now. It's kind of coming back around, but. I mean, I think you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I totally get it. And it's just, yeah. it's frustrating because, I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says to use the state to evangelize or to use the state to spread. I mean, the, the words democracy are not found in the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. democratic. If, like if democracy is such a virtue, you think the Bible would mention it once. But yeah. there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, uh, if the majority has the will to the, the power to enforce their opinions on the minority that's great <laughs> or if yeah. yeah it's like you know it's it's just silly um morality and, goes it, out the window when you have a when you have a more people vote for it <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's sad and and it's it you know it's it's tough because uh america the american mythos does have a lot of christianity mixed into it as well because we're you know you're taught uh, in school and in church that like the founding fathers were Christian and they, and, and America, the Christian nation. And it's, it, it, it is, uh, it's definitely a problem. I, I won't say that, uh, you know, all churches and all Christians are like that. You know, I've, I've met plenty of Christians who, who, who don't talk that way, but, but, but overall they, they are still kind of, uh, bogged down by like the, the uh it's like it's like the compare the uh, metaphor you brought up with the ring of power it's 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 the problem in 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 all areas of life when you have this religion the the religious community versus the non-religious community the left versus the right in the culture wars it's like the the problem is that people can't can't uh freely disassociate and associate how they want to and live voluntarily when they're afraid of people who don't share their their values completely taking that ring of power and, and using it against them. And until we throw it into, into Mount doom and, and get rid of it for good, uh, we're going to, you know, people are going to fight over it until enough people say enough is enough. Uh, and, and figure out a way to, to, uh, give up the ghost on that. Yeah. Uh, with that, I think we're going to bring it to a close. Are you got any plugs you want to drop? I mean, obviously, this will be this will be in the video description as well. So, I mean, you'll just send me those after, and I'll put them in the video description. But I'm yeah, going to give them now. Just just look up, uh, you know, Daniel three, obeying God over the state on Facebook. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel with some videos up. Um, website in the works, but not up and running yet. 
but uh, you can go check that out if you want to look more into what I'm doing and also check out uh, um, Anarcho Christian and the Bad Roman Project, uh, Stephen Rose and Craig Hargis, good good friends of mine who are also big into uh, this movement of Christian anarchism. Yeah, I want to have them both on at some point, but I mean, I don't want to do like back to back to back Anarcho Christian <laughs> episodes, but right. I'm sure we'll go into those again later. Um, yeah, I'm going to go into our plugs real quick. I want you to stick around because uh, I'm going to I want to talk to you a little bit after the broadcast. But uh, yeah, um, for us, uh, keep in mind, this is the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. We have the Facebook group. It'll be in the, in the description as well. Uh, you know, the whole point is we're pushing, uh, we're trying to get a non-culture or a non-political cultural movement going. Essentially, we're trying to move liberty through the culture. Um, we also have the uh, email that will also be in the description, the, the Liberty Movement glo- uh, global at gmail.com. Keep, uh, oh, big thing is with everything going on with Facebook, we've been, I'm zucked right now. Like, uh, I can't, I can't interact with, uh, I forget what it's complex entities, whatever the heck that means. Uh, basically I'm not, I'm not able to post or comment or comment in groups. So yeah, I mean, that's with that, we kind of, we'd already been talking about this before, but this kind of put the rush on. We're really trying to put together an email list. So, um, if you're in the, uh, if you're in the group already, you can send it to me, uh, or you can send it to, uh, David, who's another one of the admins or you can send it in uh, to the email. Because uh, basically we're just trying to collect emails. We're trying to get an email list going together. And uh, in the future, we're looking towards having like, you know, maybe like a newsletter, kind of like how Tom Woods goes so that we can kind of keep in touch. Because I mean, anyone who knows anything about the Liberty Movement Facebook group, it's a whole network of groups. And we kind of had it all set up, but we're trying to set up an infrastructure and, you know, Zuck isn't really having it. So we need to, we need to have backups. Um, uh, also keep an eye out. We're probably going to be getting going on a website here soon. And, uh, yeah, I brought up the newsletter. So, um, and yeah, with that, um, that's really all I have to say. Um, yeah. Uh, Oh, tomorrow, uh, keep a lookout. I'll probably be, I have, uh, my friend, uh, it's kind of ironic. We had a Christianity episode, uh, where I have a buddy that's a, works at a grow house. Who's a big, uh, big in hallucinogenics and, and marijuana, just drugs in general. And we're going to be doing a drugs episode tomorrow. So <laughs> keep a lookout for that. Um, and with that deuces. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.